Whispering. Whispering Streets. And here is Betty Davis. Hello. Esme Russell, airline stewardess, was eligible for transfer to one of those huge DC-7 planes that span the continent in a matter of a few hours. But there was just one reason why Esme stayed on the small local plane that made several stops going into Chicago. And that was the pilot, Kevin Gifford. Right now, she stood in the cockpit, slightly behind Kevin. Well, honey, what is it? Why, nothing. Nothing at all, Kevin. I do love you. The strange part of it is that I believe you. You love me as much as I love you. But marriage is out. I don't like kids, Esme. I never did. They're the inevitable result of marriage. You know, I was the oldest of seven kids, and we were as poor as church mice. I hate kids. Honest, I do. When you said you didn't want children, I thought it was for another reason. I thought it was because of your job. Some pilots are afraid of marriage and children because they feel that the element of risk is larger for them than it is for, well, clerks and lawyers and bankers. I thought you were afraid to have children for the sake of the children, Kevin. I didn't know that you were being consciously selfish. Selfish? Me? Well, I'd give away the shirt off You're my generous. back if I... The generosity and unselfishness are two different items. Oh, you're being very technical, Esme. <laughs> uh, but you're awful pretty. I dream about you nights. Sometimes I dream about you daytimes, with my eyes open. I dream about you, too. All the time. Oh, Kevin, we'd be so terribly happy. Yeah, until the kids began to appear over the horizon line. Little kids crying all the time, their mouths open. My kids wouldn't be crying all the time. When my baby's mouths were open, they'd be laughing. Because they were happy to have you for a father. And me for a mother. You're doing a fine job of selling, but... No, no dice. I've stayed in my platform. And uh, we better stop talking because uh, Ed may barge in here any minute. He went back for a cup of coffee. Coffee was very hot for change. It'll take him quite a while to drink it. And my co-pilot mentioned that there was a pretty blonde toward the tail of the plane. Well, there's a pretty brunette up here with me and I'm crazy mad for her. If she understood me the least little bit... You stated your platform, Kevin. And you know mine. I want to be married. I want a wedding ring. I want people to call me Mrs. Gifford, not Miss Russell. I want to belong to you. And I want you to belong to me. I want you to belong to me, but... Well, I like my independence. I don't want to belong to anybody. Someday you'll change. I know you will. Someday when... This out in Detroit last night, darling. Tonight we'll have it out in Chicago, but we won't get anywhere. The day I'm going to change is way over the top of the horizon line. It'll be day after tomorrow. And we never reach day after tomorrow. Savvy? Yes. I'd be a fool if I didn't understand. I think I'll go back, Kevin, and keep my eye on Ed. Oh, I saw the blonde when I came through. She's synthetic, darling. Passed the word to Ed that her fatal charm came right out of a bottle. He's more innocent than I am. And so are you, darling. <laughs> You're crying. Of course I'm crying. 
We're coming down for a landing at the whistle stop, Kevin, in a few minutes. I must get back and tell the through passengers to wave. Yeah, that, that kid who always sits on the porch of the frame house, bundled up in blankets? Oh, catch me waving at a kid I don't know and never will know. You're nuts. Oh, no, I'm not. If we stop long enough, I'm going to ask Bob, the passenger agent, why she's always bundled up that way. I'm not crying now, Kevin. Thinking about that poor little youngster has made me forget my own troubles. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first... Invest in your future... A sure and easy way. Get to my favorite baby and make your dreams come true. So always remember, it's a proud way to save. Take stock in America by USAVINGS. If you've been concerned about saving money, why not sign up for the payroll savings plan where you work? Today's bonds are better than ever. It's your family. It's your country. Safeguard them both with safe, sure U.S. savings bonds. So always remember, it's a proud way to save. Take stock in America by U.S. savings With Betty Davis. The plane made several stops at small airports, and at one of these stops, there was a shabby house, just a stretch of meadow away from the landing field. Esme had seen the little girl during the winter with her white face pressed to the window pane. Now that the weather was warm, she was out on the porch of the house, blanket swathed. The porch was sagging dejectedly. The whole house needed paint. There was an air of hopelessness about it. Two passengers got off at the tiny stop. There was a package to be checked onto the plane. Esme climbed out and stood talking to Bob, the passenger agent. Who is she, Bob? A child over there across the way. I can't see her face clearly, but I judge her to be about ten years old. No, no she's almost twelve. Her name's Joy Galvin. Joy. <laughs> That's a laugh, isn't it? Why is it a laugh? Well, she's sick. She's never going to get better. Fact is, she won't live very long. Her pop was telling me last week that it'll be a miracle if she makes it through the summer. Oh, terrible. What's wrong with her? Some sort of incurable blood disease. One of those obscure things. Her name's Joy. Can you beat it? Oh, dear. She's a happy little kid, though. Her folks are dirt poor, but... They've spent every cent they could scrape together on treatment for it. And nothing worked? Nothing. No, not even the Mayos. Now they're down to rock bottom. But she's so darn grateful for little things. When folks leave magazines here, I run them over to her. Once there was a box of candy that hadn't been opened. Oh, I had a hunch. That's why I started waving to her. That's why I've told all the passengers to wave. And what it means to Joy. Gosh, you'll never know. She waits for your flight like she was waiting for a a, a ticket to Buckingham Palace or or the White House. 
quite said she was almost 12. Her birthday will be next Thursday. Her last birthday? Yep. yep. I'll try to fix it so I'm on the flight next Thursday. Bob, I'm, I'm glad you told me about it, even though you've broken my heart. Well, I guess it's time for us to move on. Our pilot's giving me the signal to close the door. Right. Uh, be seeing you in a happy landing in good old Chicago. They talked it out in Chicago. Esme Russell and Kevin Gifford. The same old story, no variations. Esme one note. That's what Kevin called her mockingly. Marriage, of course, didn't have to mean children. That was Kevin's final concession. But to Esme... A marriage without children is... is an empty thing, Kevin. How come it's empty? With no children, it wouldn't be a marriage. Good heavens, you've been talking about the kid all the way from the whistle stop to Chicago. That Joy, whatever her name is. Joy Galvin. Well, what if you drew something like Joy in the start grab bag? I'd make her as happy as possible. I'd give her the time of her life. As long as she had a life. Oh, sure, sure. Well, that's too big a risk for me. You're talking foolishly, Kevin. But you're not foolish, really. That's why I love you so much. Inside, you're soft as putty. You've just built a hard shell around yourself. If you held a child in your arms, a child of your own, the shell would crack wide open. I know it would. Skip it, sister. And that's the way it is. Sister. Oh, well, I can like it or lump it, and I don't like it. After next Thursday, I'm going to put in for a transfer. Mm. The old crate isn't good enough. Perhaps you are not. I've got to stop seeing you, Kevin. Seeing you all day on the plane, seeing you evenings, if much for me. I can't take it any longer. After next Thursday... Why I'm... Thursday? If you feel that way, why not Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? Why prolong the agony? Thursday will be Joy's birthday. I told you, remember? I'm going to bring her a cake and a present. I'm going to hold the plane until I run across the field and give her the presents. And light the candles on her cake. Woman, you're out of your mind. You're breaking regulations. Besides, the passengers will bellyache for sure if they see you leaving the plane and holding us up. People who ride planes want to get there in a hurry. That's why they ride them. tried to keep out of Kevin Gifford's way during the days that followed. She tried to tell herself that she'd get over it, that there were other men in the world. It's a neat trick when a girl can convince herself that the man she loves isn't the only man on earth. She ordered a birthday cake with flowers made of frosting and the inscription, Joy Galvin, age 12, happy birthday. She prayed for fair weather. What if the flight were canceled on Thursday? And that prayer, at least, was answered. When she boarded the plane, Kevin was beside the steps. Uh, hi, Esme. Morning, Kevin. Long time no see. I'm glad you've missed me. Are you now? Is this really your swan song, Esme? Or should I say swan flight? Yes, Kevin. I'm getting transferred tomorrow. And from henceforth, forevermore... Oh, don't be silly, darling. That's Look. why I'm changing, so I won't be silly. Kevin, will you help me aboard with these boxes? Be very careful. The birthday cake? The doll? You didn't forget. <laughs> That's something. I love the doll so terribly that she can't help loving it. And after all, 
There's only 12 today. How are you going to fix it up with the passengers? Why, I thought maybe you'd say something about tuning up the engine. They'd be patient. No, honey. Look, I'm responsible for the crate, and I'm not selling it short. Joy's your pigeon. Then I'll tell them the truth. Well, if you get the right crowd, okay. But if you get the wrong crowd, you'll have to send the cake over by Bob. They seemed like the wrong crowd. A stout businessman who scowled as he added and re-added columns of figures. A woman who looked as if her smile were lacquered on, who stared straight ahead sightlessly. A honeymoon couple who held hands. Yes, they were in a hurry to get somewhere. An assortment of cut-to-pattern salesmen. And a young girl who had never been in a plane before, who was violently nervous, and who might be violently airsick at any moment. Esme waited until they were within ten minutes of the whistle stop. Best to strike while the iron was hot. And then she started to talk. Passengers, your attention, please. In about ten minutes from now, we're going to land at a very small airport... And just across from the runway, you'll see a dreary, unpainted house. And on the porch of it, a little girl wrapped in blankets. I've never seen that little girl nearer than from across the runway. But I happen to know that this is her 12th birthday. And that it's her last birthday. Yes, I feel just the way you do about it. She has an incurable disease. You see, her father says it will be a miracle if she lives through the summer... So I want to give her a fine birthday. I have a cake with candles and a doll for her. And if you'll allow me a 15-minute stopover, I can deliver the cake in person and light the candles. It'll make the day for her. And she has so few days left. Are you good sports enough to give me a quarter of an hour out of your lives? Just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. In 1801, Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter that in times of national election, the people considered it their personal duty to elect honest men with an understanding of the duties for which they were elected. Jefferson also declared that being president of the United States was the most difficult duty to fulfill. Although those sentiments were written over 150 years ago, they're as true today as they were then. We still recognize the importance of choosing the right men in the election of our leaders. But with that privilege comes the responsibility to see that our right to vote is not ignored or misused. By assuming that responsibility, you may help to add another page of your political history. to our story with Betty Davis. Esme waited the color coming and going in her cheeks, her eyes darting from one face to another. The businessman, the lacquered woman, the young girl who was trying so valiantly not to be airsick. But it was one of the cut-to-pattern salesmen who spoke. You know, I'd like to give the kid something. I have a little girl back in Chicago. She's 13. She wanted a little red purse from New York, but I'll get one in Chicago and she'll never know the difference. Fellas, how about filling that purse up, huh? You mean... You mean... I can have the stop? Well, I think I'm speaking for everybody when I say, what's 15 minutes to a gang like this? Now, folks, am I right or wrong?
people as far apart as the poles had suddenly been welded into a group. The young girl took a small fountain pen from her bag and handed it to Esme. The stout businessman, surprisingly enough, had a set of children's books in his suitcase. The lacquered woman unclipped a small jeweled elephant from the lapel of her jacket. And when the plane came down, Esme didn't cross the hundred-yard space alone. The others went with her. She carried the birthday cake. She led the procession. And the salesman walked just a step behind her. There's nearly a hundred dollars in that red purse, Miss Russell. Oh, I can't thank you enough for what you've done, Mr... The name's Foster, isn't it? Daniel Foster, that's right. Well, because of your daughter's little red purse, Joy will have luxuries for the whole of the summer. Little luxuries mean so much when... You should be real happy, Miss Russell, doing a job like this. Oh, I am. I am happy. At least I would be if... These children so desperately that even a little dying child can't melt him. I'm going on a different run tomorrow. It's better so... Say, I've just thought of something... What if the excitement's too much for... for the kid, I mean? Well, I think this kind of excitement will be good for her. Oh, we're so close now that I can see her face. It's such a narrow little face. And it's all eyes. She'd be a pretty child, though, if she weren't so thin. Her hands are clutching the arms of a chair. She's leaning forward. I guess she's too weak to stand. Yes, I guess so. But she doesn't know what it's all about. No, she doesn't. She'll be ever so surprised. I'm a stewardess and I have the vestige of a voice. But I think it's time I led the singing of Happy Birthday. <laughs> Can you sing, Mr. Foster? Uh, I used to be the star of the high school glee club, but that was a long <laughs> while ago. Hey, miss, we better hold everything before we start our happy birthdays. But why? Well, the pilot's standing in the doorway of the plane. He's making motions. You suppose he wants us to come back? her heart in her throat turned swiftly. She saw Kevin Gifford's tall figure silhouetted against the doorway of the plane. Then he was coming down the steps two at a time and racing across the grassy space between them. Then tears stood in her eyes as she heard what he was calling out to her. Hey, Esme, wait for me. Wait for me, honey. I'm in on this. What a rich experience. Esme told herself that she'd always known that Kevin would justify her faith at the right moment. Or had she? She stood in the cockpit and studied the back of his head. And it was a long moment before she spoke. You gave her your medal. You won the president pinned on your tunic at the end of the Second World War. Uh, I've had the fun of it, and she deserves the medal more than I did she got a kick? She got a kick. I got one too, darling. Did you hear what she said when we were leaving? She said, this is the loveliest birthday ever. I hope they'll all be as lovely as this from now on. She said, from now on, Kevin. Where she's going, they're apt to be okay. 
There's a man upstairs who'll see to that. Uh, Esme, uh, you know, I... I don't think our kids would be too tough to handle. I, I mean, I don't think they'll yell and holler all the time. I can almost guarantee that they won't. You know, honey, we've got some talking to do when we reach Chicago. Right? Right, Kevin. We've got a world of talking to do. A world of planning to do. A world of loving to do. a moment of temptation. Now, here's Betty Davis to tell you more about Daniel Foster. Many a man is swept off his feet momentarily when he's thrown into contact with a beautiful girl who flatters his ego. And Daniel Foster was no exception to the rule. But sometimes flattery has a more adhesive quality than a man thinks. And he can't seem to get away from it. You'll meet Daniel Foster again during a very challenging situation when I bring you his story. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Bob Clark, and Vic Perrin. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.